This is Lives of Adventure, the show where I get to interview people who have chosen to live their lives a little differently to most of us. My name's Jeff Gardner, and thanks for joining me. Now, if you know me at all, you have probably heard me talk about sailing at one point or another. I am obsessed with the idea of one day circumnavigating this lovely planet in a sailboat. And I think this idea has just grown and grown over the years, probably mostly because I've spent most of my time living and playing in the mountains. So the idea of the sea seems really exotic to me. So you can imagine how excited I am to finally get to catch up with Kirk and Lauren from Sailing Solianus. I've been following their YouTube channel for quite a while now, and I would highly recommend it if you haven't checked it out. And to be honest, they do such a good job on their YouTube channel, in fact, that I actually had a bit of trouble when I was thinking about sitting down and interviewing them because they've covered so much of their journey so well in such an engaging and vulnerable way on the channel. So I tried to take a slightly different tact, and I tried to talk about some of the stuff that doesn't really come up so often on the channel. We do talk a little bit about the kind of backstory and where they really got interested in sailing, and we certainly cover some of their more scary moments that they've had on board so far. Some of that stuff actually hasn't come out on the YouTube channel yet, which was uh, exciting. And then I wanted to also just go into some of the realities of what it's like to live as a nomad on a boat and try to work at the same time. As you can imagine, we have covered lots of ground here, and I feel like I only just barely scratched the surface of what I actually wanted to talk to them about. So hopefully they'll grace me with another uh, interview at some point in the future, or maybe I can catch up with them and Solianus at some point. So with all that said, let's get right into the episode, and I hope you do enjoy my conversation with Kirk and Lauren from Sailing Solianus. So, hello, Kirk. Hello, Lauren. Uh, and I guess I should refer to you guys as Sailing Solianus. Uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Hi. Very well. So, you guys are joining um, from the East Coast in America. Uh, I am in Italy, and you guys are not on the boat at the moment, uh, but we will, I guess, get to the boat in a bit, uh, as I think you guys are heading back in about a week or so. Is that about right? We are, yeah. We are in the, the Midwest, in the Mitten State, the Michigan, surrounded by all the Great Lakes at the moment. Ah, okay, okay. So I thought you guys were on East Coast time, um, but I suppose... Uh, oh, we are. We are. Oh, just... what? How does that work? Yeah. 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 Michigan is actually the furthest <laughs> West state that it's still in the Eastern time zone. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Aren't you guys like so west we have, of Chicago, in the summers, though? No, no, no. We're we're east of Chicago. Okay, yeah, I'm like bit. really blowing my geography here now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> You've been away far too long. Yes, it's yes. Okay. I'm no longer okay. American. I'm, they're going to take my passport here soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've now established that Michigan is east of Chicago and you're in the eastern time zone. Excellent. <laughs> I've learned something already. <laughs> We're off to a great start. Amazingly, yeah. Perfect. Um, cool. So let's, uh, I guess, you know, most people that are going to be listening to this um, that know of you guys are going to know you probably via your YouTube channel, um, which surprising to, you know, like I think most of the kind of sailing YouTube channels that I follow and watch and things, it's really hard to get the backstory or at least, you know, they don't get around to kind of telling where they came from or how they ended up on a boat in the first place uh, for a couple of yeah. years. And I think it was really cool. Uh, you know, the, your first couple of videos really centered around you guys, you know, sort of telling the story of how you got to this idea that you wanted to live on a boat and, you know, some of the things that you had to go through to get there. Um, so I guess I'd love to even go a little further back 
and try to you know figure out like what was it that like triggered the idea in the very first place of hey we would love to live on a boat for you know a long period of time and and potentially sail around the world yeah uh i think lauren can answer this one best but i'll just set it up and say that i sort of planted the seed in her head almost <laughs> unwittingly <laughs> um so i didn't grow up sailing at all. I think I sailed once with my grandpa on his sunfish when I was about 10. Nice. Other than that, I didn't know anything about sailing. Um, and it wasn't until Kirk studied abroad in Australia in 2005, I think. Yeah. Um, he was there for six months and I went, I flew across the Pacific to visit him for a month. And he gave me this book because I didn't have any room in my suitcase for, for books. And he was at class all the time. And so I was bored. Um, this book was called An Embarrassment of Mangoes, and it was about a Canadian couple who quit their jobs and bought a boat and sailed to the Caribbean. And I just absolutely fell in love with cruising. It, it wasn't even sailing, actually. It was just kind of, it was just traveling on a boat. So, yeah, that was, I think that was the start of it all. Yeah. And I, I had just randomly been walking around downtown uh, Brisbane, Australia, which is where I was at uh, doing study abroad, and happened to just walk past it, like a bookstore that had a table of used books sitting out on the sidewalk. And just the title just jumped out at me. I was like, an embarrassment of mangoes. What is that about? That just, <laughs> That's that, so it, random. so intriguing sounding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like a $3, you know, like used book sale. And so I just picked it up and, you know, brought it home and just read like cover to cover almost. It was a pretty interesting read. And um, I, I wasn't thinking anything really about sailing at the time. I, you know, I, I kind of always, I grew up sailing mm -hmm. and I enjoyed sailing as a kid, but I, I didn't really have a goal to go cruising. And so after Lauren read this book, she was like, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, so it began. <laughs> I, I think, I don't know if you've ever read any books about sailing or, or books written by sailors. Um, but most of them actually aren't writers, but this person, um, she actually was a writer. And so coming from a writer's perspective and then talking about sailing, she just got me hook, line and sinker. Like she got me so good. She just described the sailing, the cruising lifestyle, just, um, like a dream really. So it's amazing. Um, Actually, I like Lauren, yeah. how you described it as, um, you know, not even necessarily sailing because cruising is, is quite different. It's like living on a boat and, and visiting places, uh, rather than necessarily yes. sailing. For sure. Yeah. Cruising is like 2% sailing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should we, get into this in a we, little bit. Maybe we should just pause that thought. And when we get to the boat stuff, we'll okay. talk yeah. about that in detail. Cause I actually want to hear a lot right. more about that. Um, and actually, sure. yes, I have read quite a few books on sailing at this point and sort of got hooked, uh, a little in the same way, uh, you guys did, or at least you did Lauren, um, with a book, I think it's called across islands and oceans. Um, it's about a guy oh, yeah. who's actually yeah, from the Midwest. Um, yeah. And goes around the world on a little 29 foot Triton, um, by himself. Yeah. Uh, James is, Baldwin. I think. Yes. That's exactly who it was. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was a good book too. Uh, and I think again, like it was, um, it, it was good because I feel like he was, he's a pretty decent writer. And so the story itself is, is the, you know, is the hook there. It's not necessarily like descriptions of all the sailing and stuff, although there's plenty of that in there, but it, right. it's, um, yeah, it's yeah. just a, it, it's a travel book, I, I suppose. Yeah. 
Definitely. And that's actually, that's one thing that I did grow up with was travel. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, she, well, her parents came from Germany and I, I, I don't know, she just, she fell in love with traveling as well. Um, and when I was 12, she sent me to Europe to visit cousins that I had never met before by myself for an entire wow. summer. So that I think, uh, instilled the whole, I don't know, lust for travel in yeah. me. Yeah, that, that's getting amazing. Getting back to the sailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's kind of um, like you said, like if it is 2% sailing, then that, that that's sort of it, right? Like you're, um, it's just, a, I suppose, a method to get to all these different places that you would have a very hard time otherwise getting to. Yeah, yes. that's that's exactly like the nucleus of the whole idea was we knew we, we really both wanted to travel. We knew we were never going to be millionaires or billionaires able to afford like flying around the world all over the place. And we were like, how could we do this? And slow travel, like traveling with your home everywhere you go makes things much more affordable. And that's really the way we've always approached sailing is sort of like we're just living our life on this boat. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just it's a long term thing. It's not like we're taking a little sabbatical and going, you know, until the cruising kitty dries up or whatever, like we're just living on a boat. And so you, I mean, you can easily do that with an RV. It would have been so much easier to do it with an RV. Right. <laughs> a boat is so much more complicated, <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> both Kirk and I absolutely love the water and we love coastlines and a boat was the perfect vehicle to take us to all of those places. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I think it's a really interesting take on it because, um, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, either they, I guess maybe the, the problem is that people conflate two different things. Like there's the sailing and racing aspect and the, you know, people see the Volvo ocean race and stuff like this. And they're like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. look at that. That looks amazing. Or that, you know, that looks super adventurous. And then, you know, cruising is just like you said, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it you know, living on a boat. Yeah. Yep. They, sh- they share the same you know, the same concepts are the same vehicle, but they're like drastically different, uh, adventures, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I they're mean, totally I come from the climbing ones. world. So in my head, it's like the difference between climbing El Cap and going bouldering, you know, or yeah. climbing totally. a gym, you know, totally yeah, yeah. different applications of the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, you, you read this book, uh, and I'm guessing this is, you know, like you said, 2005 is quite a while ago. And so you, you get this stuck in your head. Um, but obviously, you know, boats don't come for free. Uh, and you guys had a bunch of other stuff in life going on at the time, university and all the rest. What, I mean, at that point, was it like, hey, we're going to do this. And, you know, now it's time to start charting, you know, okay, here's the plan for the next X number of years. These are the things we've got to get out of the way before we're going to be able to buy the boat or be able to set off on this? No. (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right. But all that stuff came probably about a couple years later. Yeah. Well, I was going to say about five years ago. So like 10 years later. Um, So the book thing happened in 2005. Uh, We graduated college. We moved to Chicago, spent a couple years there, got tired of the rat race and decided, hey, let's go back to that country that we both really love. And spend six months there before we buy a house and have kids and do all that stuff where, you know, you start to plant roots and but, you're stuck. But I was right. already looking at boats before we left for Australia in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, I mean, the the idea never really. L- Lauren learned, didn't realize you were looking for boats, apparently, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, she, uh, she probably didn't. <laughs> it was never really like you know something that was going to happen at that moment. It was more of like, Kirk's, how can we make it happen? Yeah, right. yeah. Kirk's Kirk researches stuff years before it ever actually happens. <laughs> that sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar <laughs> yeah. to me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we go to Australia again, and so this is 2010, um, and we go for six months again. Um, but the at at the end of this trip, we decide we want to do something cool, I guess, because the whole time um, I'm actually waitressing and Kirk's working freelance for some companies back in the U.S. So we're not really traveling that much. We're basically just living there and enjoying the life there. Yeah, I pretty much surfed all day, every day. Yeah, (laughs) sounds terrible. Sounds really bad. (laughs) Freelance work, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah, well, because, you know, it's it's a total opposite time. uh, Right. So you could work at night. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm I'm used to the remote life. But yeah, Yeah. when you think about it, you're like, wow, I get to surf all day. And then, okay, I've got to work at night, but that's okay. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Just a little less sleep. And, you know, you sleep in a little bit later. So, yeah, the whole day was free for me, which was awesome. That's amazing. But we, we absolutely loved it. Um, even though we weren't, you know, traveling every weekend, we'd go on some hikes and, you know, we, we did live in two different locations. Uh, we lived in Sydney and then we lived in Brisbane. But um, so that's what we wanted to do at the end of this trip. We wanted to take a week long, like something cool, something crazy and something a little bit expensive, you know, something. splurge. <laughs> exactly. And we decided on a bare boat sailing charter. And that's where the dream really solidified itself. You went, yeah, we, we actually do like this. We could do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We uh, we did a week-long bareboat charter in the Whit Sundays on a, a 34-foot catamaran. Um, and we could not afford mm-hmm. this catamaran by ourselves. So we had to like drum up some other people to you know kind of go on this trip with us. Um, and the trip ended up being M- Lauren and I. Lauren's mother flew over from the U.S. <clears throat> and then... Two Swedish girls that yep. Lauren waited tables with. Yeah, who who were backpackers and just were. I told them about about it, and they were like, "Heck yeah, that's <laughs> awesome!" <laughs> so it was a group of five: four girls and Kirk, and well, I should say three girls and one mother. Yeah. <laughs> <Kirk>. Right. <laughs> we we had a house mother. Yes, yeah. it was a house mother who actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spent every single hour, I think, snorkeling. She yeah. was actually, she was never on the boat. She was in the water. So. That is amazing. That's really yeah. cool. And like, how did you guys, I mean, did you have uh, some sort of qualification or whatever that allowed you to do the bareboat charter or was it sort of uh, seat of the pants and, you know? Well, yeah, a little bit what, of both, a little bit of both. That's but, what I was going to say is like between all five of us, there was like, I had the most experience by far, and this was the largest boat by far that I had ever sailed in. I had never sailed on the ocean. I had never dealt with tides. I never actually sailed a catamaran anything bigger than a Hobie cat. How did they so, give you the boat? I don't understand yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so remember all this research and reading that we did of all these sailing books? Well, <laughs> we show up to like the orientation before our week-long charter is supposed to start, and the the guy from the the charter company he's asking us a couple questions and telling us things and we're kind of sitting there we're like oh yeah yeah absolutely like he'll say something and we we nod our heads like we understood which mostly we did yeah. um but he i think he got this feeling like we were 
we were fine. Like we were experienced, like we knew what we were doing. We'd done this before. I had even put though, together a whole sailing resume, like ready to yeah. give the guy. There wasn't much on it, but it like it looked <laughs> right, it looked, right. It was official exactly. looking. <laughs> I guess reading will get you a long way. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least for Aussie uh sailing charter companies. Yeah. Right. But again, that was what, ten years ago now? Yeah. Almost. Yeah, it was it was a mostly kind of like a no worries thing, you know, like we we asked the questions about, you know, like, what do you do in tides? And we we he kind of got the feeling that we we at least knew the concept. Yeah, and right. So, right. You knew where, you knew your way around a boat. And it was like, OK, this is maybe a little bit, uh, you know, they're in a different location than they normally sail. So they're asking about a few of the details right. there. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so that it ended up being that, you know, we, we did this kind of like hour long introduction thing. And it was mostly them just kind of like talking about you know, the boat and how they operate and just right. the Sundays in general. And he's like, okay, you guys ready to go? Let's, let's head out to the boat. And we had already loaded everything already. And so this um, is, this is where we were expecting the sea trial. Um, that's what was said on their website was that there was going to be a little bit of a test right. and both Kirk and I are nervous as all get out. Like we were just like, okay, what are, what are, what are they going to make us do? And yeah. We had no <laughs> idea what to expect. And, uh, so we, we, the the guy comes out with us. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the boat out of the harbor because there's some tidal current and things, and you know, I'll just I'll do the the docking so you guys don't have to worry about it. And so we're motoring out of the harbor, and you know, he's been on board for maybe five minutes. He's like, All right, you guys ready to take over? We're like, Okay, this is when the test is coming. Yep, yep <laughs> we got it. And I take the wheel and I turn around. And he's already like stepping off the back of the boat to get in his dinghy and head back to the dock. <laughs> he's like, See you later. <laughs> Like, I guess that was the test right now. there. You're done. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really awesome. Uh, it is. It's like incredible how much uh, how much you can make happen by just sort of. Um, I mean, okay, obviously you guys had a lot of preparation in the sense of you know you had read and done research and you, you know you sort of talked the talk in a sense, but uh, you know there's that moment of I think a lot of people just wouldn't do that, and it takes very little to just kind of cross that line and go, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, we got this. Yeah, we got this. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. like most of the time, it just works out totally fine. For sure. We didn't, we didn't run aground. We didn't sink the boat. Yeah. And you've won. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we, we didn't end up, yeah, right. We didn't end up on the reef. Like apparently one bo boat a yeah. week actually did. Whoa. Um, we heard, we heard some distress calls one afternoon that <laughs> the tide had just started to drop and they were calling in because they were stuck aground. And <laughs> the, the guy that had done our, our little sea trial with us, we heard him come back on the radio and he says, well, uh, High tide just came around, so I guess you guys are sitting for the next six hours. <laughs> Make yourselves comfortable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not much we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that was I mean, us, like so. in some senses though, I guess, and maybe we'll get to this a little later, but like there's um I feel like there's there's a phrase that uh like the head of engineering at the software company I work at always says, he's like, There's very few situations that could be made worse, uh that can't be made worse by moving too quickly or like trying right. to do too mm -hmm. much too fast. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that probably like bodes true for a lot of stuff in sailing is like, okay, you get sort of in trouble. Most of the time you can probably just kind of wait and slow down rather than trying to like rapidly do something. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. The, the thoughtfulness and thinking stuff through and like having a plan beforehand. And if that doesn't go well, yeah, just slowing down and, and taking stock of the situation is huge. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get kind of stressed out and freaked out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so my only like real sailing experience, we had a little 16 foot, you know, dinghy uh, back in Virginia when we were both living there, my wife and I, and uh, we used to go out on this little tiny lake and the boat would get like super overpowered really quickly because it was, you know, it was over canvassed. It was supposed to be a little lightweight, light air dinghy. Um, 
and uh, it, it we we tried a couple of times at the beginning to like get it to capsize so we would know what it feel like, and we never <laughs> yeah. could. And we were like, well, I don't know, what, what do we do? And so we just mm-hmm. most of the time it was light air, but every now and then we get hit, you know, by heavier winds and it was like the panic stations, you know, all around <laughs> until finally, like right at the end, right before we're about to sell the boats, like the last time we're out, we finally get, you know, hit by this big thunderstorm and the boat heals all the way over. And basically the sail is like almost in the water and nothing happens. And we're just like, <laughs> oh, this is all. I mean, obviously like the boat comes down, the sail is now, you know, not in the wind. So nothing happens. We right. turn, you know, turn to wind and that's it. And we were right. like, okay. Yeah. Glad we panicked all those times. Yeah, that, that's what you're afraid of all the time. <laughs> right, right, right. So it was like one of those really great lessons of, okay, yeah, the, the, these things are um, like, yes, there's a lot of danger in a system where it's heavily loaded like that, but also there's a lot of design there that uh, works in your favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, we have some, some probably some great stories about situations like that as well. I don't know if that's what you want to get into at this point. But. <laughs> Let's do actually. Let's go ahead. So tell me about one of those. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to the uh, boat. I, I suppose maybe we can almost skip over some of the boat searching stuff because it's so well documented in, uh, in, you know, on you guys channel. Um, sure. But yeah, tell me about, uh, you know, one of the scarier moments uh, that you've had on the boat so far. Um, all right. So We'll set we'll set the scene briefly. We we had just had a very very rough sail across the Gulf Stream from the Florida Keys to the Bahamas, um, and we've we've learned on a number of occasions not to mix schedules with sailing. Um, it's like one of the first things that our sailing mentors had told us. You know, like you can you can pick a time or you can pick a place, right. But you can't do both. Exactly, <laughs> which so, works so because, well with modern life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and working while traveling, it yeah. doesn't work at all. Right. So that's that's been like the bane of our existence ever since we we got the boat is we're constantly trying to be somewhere at a certain time and it just never works in our favor and massive problems ensue yes. <laughs> basically yeah. every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and so we we hadn't learned our lesson uh <laughs> and we were really trying to get to the Bahamas to Green Turtle Key to meet Lauren's sister who was going to be spending a week there. And she didn't know it at the time, but we did. Uh, her boyfriend was going to be proposing to her. And so we were really, really pushing ourselves to try and get there before they arrived so that we could be there and celebrate with them. Um, and so we had just sailed across the Gulf Stream. It was our first Gulf Stream crossing, which is kind of a notoriously difficult stretch of water, at least uh, for you know North American sailors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you... The, the issue is, is that there's about a three or four knot current that heads uh, from the southwest to the northeast and wraps around the southern tip of Florida. Yeah, and squeezes through Florida and the Bahamas. Right, right, right the straits. Um, yep. And so yep. anytime there's a north component to the wind, the wind and waves are in opposition and they stack up really, really right. tall. And you it get just nasty really chop. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we encountered that for the previous 24 four hours or so. And the thing was, is we had picked this weather window because it was basically the best that had been in the last month. And it looked like it was the best it was going to be for the next few weeks. So this was kind of our last chance to get over there. Yeah. And it, it, the wind was just on our nose the entire time we were beating into the wind and waves and just water coming over the bow of the boat with every wave. And we were just, we were stressed out. We were burnt out. We were super tired and we made it to the Bahamas. Finally, this had been, you know, like a kind of a 36 hour slog, I think. Yeah. 
And it, it had been a goal of ours for a lot of years and we were finally there, but we were just exhausted. Right? We, yeah. We were, we were kind of like, Hmm, well, so, uh, we done with this whole sailing. <laughs> <laughs> we were ready to pack it in and call it quits. Um, but we were, so we were in the, you know, still what, 200 miles away from where we needed to be Just in the Bahamas. Under. Yeah. Yeah. We had a ways to go. And we had about three days to get there, mm-hmm. I think oh four days gosh. to get there. Um, and so there was actually a frontal system that was coming in the very next morning and we were, we were just kind of already stressing out about it that day, but we went to bed that night, got up early the next morning and said, okay, you know, we're going to try and beat this. Well, and the thing was, is if we didn't ride this frontal system to the east, there was no wind in its wake. So that meant we would have been motoring that 200 miles or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. That was not a good prospect. Yeah. We were, we did enough motoring down the river trip. We, we were kind yeah. of, we tried yeah, to, you're done with the motor. Do as little motoring as possible. And, and we didn't have a mast. So it was like, okay, we have to use the motor. <laughs> right, but right, right. We are not a sailboat. Not, we are a motorboat. Yeah. yeah. So, but Gosh. so we, we got up the, the next morning and we, we know this frontal system's coming and in a frontal system, there's always a massive wind shift and there's usually a big, you know, blast of air for you know an hour or two or so uh when those fronts come through and those are the types of things that you kind of don't really mess around with like scattered thunderstorms or like you know just the tropical thunderstorms those are isolated isolated things things. you can kind of navigate around them but a front is just such a big long band that you know you're gonna get hit by it i mean yeah like if you've got one of those coming through you stay at the dock usually. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. There's no reason to go out. <laughs> right, right, right. Unless you're uh, like racing the time and, you know, you've got to be somewhere and then. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're sitting at the dock and it's like 7 a.m. and the sun is just rising, but it it's, you know, it's just really foreboding. It's the really rich colors that and the, the sky, sky is, is like super that dark, dark purple. Yeah. We're already seeing like 20 knots of wind like in this protected harbor and we're just like, we're looking at each other like we would never even consider going out in this if it was any other situation. So are we being fools right yeah. now? Are we this is this where like we're is this the decision that we make where we go out and like this is what we look back on when we're like being rescued by the Coast Guard, going like, <laughs> Oh, that's the spot we should have <laughs> there, there was the moment. Path. There was where we did it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um and we eventually decided, no, you know what, like we're going to be, you know, in fairly protected waters. Um, we have to go out and experience weather at some point. Uh, our only alternative here is to like continue spending like $200 a night at this marina for the next week, renting a car and driving for like six hours to try and meet just, her sister. Just really like, ridiculous alternative just, plans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just not a good alternate. Yeah. But on the, on the flip side of that whole, are we being fools thing was, are we just afraid of facing a fear? Right. Because yeah, this was kind of a rather foreboding looking, you know, line of, of thunder or front thunderstorms. Um, but sailors do go sailing in these all the time. So maybe we just needed to face our fears and go for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And we, we, you know, we checked the weather before we left. And that's the other thing is being out on a sailboat. Once you're out in the middle of the the water, you kind of lose communication. So, um, you know, you, there's, there's the fear of the unknown and there's the, the fear of just kind of what you do know, <laughs> you know, like bo- yeah. both of these things are happening. Um, but we, about six hours into the sail was when the, the front caught up to us, caught up to us. And, 
uh, as you know, it's getting closer and closer, the sky's just getting darker and darker and there's just huge line of like a dark wall. Yeah. Just about the to wind chasing you down. Yep. And that was, you know, it was just like, we're just stressing ourselves out immensely. Um, and as soon as it hits, we just get this blast of cold air, this huge gust of wind and the rain starts pouring down. And it was like a euphoric release of emotion. It was like, this is amazing. This is what we've been fearing for like the last 12 hours. And it was kind of nothing. Like it yeah, was, it the, was exciting. It was cool. It was that blast of wind lasted maybe 15 minutes, I think. And then it just calmed down slowly and the rain started to die off slowly. And then it was just, it was great. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it, was just, it was a, a peaceful sail after that. Yeah. Wow. So we had, built this whole thing up in our mind for so long that it was going to be terrible. And once, as soon as it hit, it was like immediately when it hit, it was just like, this is it. We can do it. Yeah. Yeah. We're fine. That's so so cool. Uh, And like, I mean, again, like I think it, um, like so many of these things are just in our heads, aren't they? Like they're just so much, you know, our own brains kind of making things into, you know, our worst fears and, you know, uh, or at least I think for, for those of us who aren't totally foolhardy, uh, you know, you do fear the things you're supposed to fear. Uh, and you know, like you said, it's hard to discern sometimes whether it's a lack of experience or whether it's, okay, this is actually the thing that's super dangerous and we should be really, really right. careful here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard it's, one though, because like, you know, it's, it's not easy to build up, uh, that sort of experience with, without trying, you know, without taking those danger, you know, this dangerous feeling steps forward, right? Like, um, you know, skiing is the exact same way you go out in, you know, deep snow in the big mountains and you're like, yeah, I mean, there's avalanches all around here in theory. Uh, you know, the avalanche danger is in the middle today, but that doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, are we being dumb or are we just going to have a good time? And so, right. yeah, Yeah. Really similar. And you have to ask yourself, have you prepared yourself with the knowledge to kind of know what to do in the event that something does happen and the actual tools to keep yourself safe if, you know, if, if that does happen or the tools to, to, you know, diagnose what is happening. In our case, that's, you know, radar and checking the weather before we leave and skiing, it would be, you know, having the shovel and the avalanche beacons or, right, you know, right. whatever you need to, to test the, the snow before right. you go. Right. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, I can't wait to see that episode when it comes out. <laughs> it's like really, it's like pulling teeth waiting on these things as well. Like, you know, you're kind of like, oh God, like, and I know they're like months behind. And so you're kind of like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, we're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think, I mean, I think all the channels are like that, right? Like you see someone's Instagram and then you see the YouTube channel and you're like, wait a second, there's definitely a time slippage here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, I don't know. Video is hard. Uh, like video takes a long time. It's, uh, it's not, you know, it's not editing podcasts. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> and it's not just like going through a bunch of photos and doing some tweaking to the color and things like that. It's, um, significantly different. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and unfortunately the only way to make it is to do all of those things now too. If we're, if we're doing video, right. We right. still have to do the, the photos. We still have to do writing, you know, yeah. blogs and Yeah. Yeah, it's just, a, it is a full-time job, pretty much. Yeah. So on that note, actually, let's talk about your uh, real full-time jobs or, you know, how you guys, uh, you know, make money. And and I guess, you know, you've you've done the episode there recently on kind of building a road income streams to go cruising. Um, and mm-hmm. everybody should check that out. I'll link it, you know, in the show notes. But um, 
I guess I'd rather, you know, instead of talking about the nuts and bolts of like, okay, how do you make money and that sort of thing, talk about a little more, um, like how it's going in the sense of, okay, you know, you figured out a way that you can sail, but you know, you've just mentioned that part of the reason it's been tough so far is, you know, you're always trying to get from one place to another so that you can then, you know, get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, ideally the perfect situation when you're sailing weather kind of dictates everything, you know, like the, either the seasonal changes dictate where you are going to be located for a while, or even the local weather, you know, dictates an anchorage or, you know, where you need to move to, to, to have a peaceful night's sleep or a safe Harbor or, or, you know, or when you decide to progress onto a new location. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so for us, it's we've added like another layer of of logistics in there, which is like what's going on with work. And unfortunately, that takes precedence even over weather. So we have to like figure out, OK, we, we, we do all of our work stuff. And then now we have a, you know, a free time to be able to go somewhere. Is the weather OK? Right. Yes. No. <laughs> right. If not, OK, well, can is there other work we could do right now while we're waiting for weather or can we move some other things around and. So yeah, it's it's definitely made things a lot more complicated. Um, and so basically, that translates into we just can't do things as fast, um, and yeah, just everything slows down. Our traveling slows down. Um, we're probably not as efficient at work as other people would be who, you know, have a a place that they go to every day to work. <laughs> right, or they're <laughs> sitting they're in their, you know they're sitting in their office with their fiber connection. You know, yeah, yeah right, right. Um, but yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it it's worked for us thus far. You know, we've we've sacrificed a lot to kind of get to this point. We've, you know, planned a lot to figure out how to do these things. Um, but it is it's stressful. I mean, we there's a lot of our like, uh, I don't know, emotion not emotion but effort, mental effort that goes into kind of like, you know, making sure we are keeping track of our calls that we have to do for work and our scheduling and like, does this conflict? Do we have enough time to get from this anchorage to that anchorage or, yeah. you know, like, can we group a whole bunch of meetings like this week and like kind of leave some days open next week so we could go and take a two day sail to get somewhere else. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, there's a whole la- layer of logistics that are not just, Hey, I'm hopping in my car and driving the right. <laughs> 20 minutes to work through traffic. And yeah, the lack you know. of a normal schedule definitely decreases efficiency a lot. Right, um, right. On but, everything, basically, like you right. were just saying, you know, it's, it's, it yeah. decreases the efficiency in the sailing and the enjoyment of where you are in the, you know, in the work that you have to do and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but it, it's, I mean, we say that we've, we've made this happen, I guess. Um, like we are working, we are sailing, we are cruising. Um, but by no means do we have it like figured out, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Like it, it might appear on the videos that, you know, everything is just perfect, like a cogwheel, like everything's going just together perfectly. But I mean, for the two of us, um, it's just, it's every day is, is trying to, it's a new path basically right. trying to figure out how much we can get done, trying to figure out when to take a break, um, trying to figure out when to travel. Um, have we worked hard enough? Have we, you know, we'll be in a place, you know, for five days or something and we, we don't leave the cabin because we're trying to catch up on work. And then we, we come topside and we're like, wow, there's a world out here. And yeah. then, you know, <laughs> 
mildly disappointed because we've spent these five days and we haven't not experiencing it. Yeah, right. So it's, it's a struggle, um, but you know. The flip side think, is like, do you do think, it. cause you know, one of the things that you, you know, you, you hear certainly around the Instagram world and things like that is that, you know, people are, are putting forward the image of what, uh, you know, what people want to see, I suppose, or what they, they feel like people want to see. I wonder what the, you know, oftentimes I wonder like, what would be the response if somebody was just like, no, no, this is what it actually looks like. Here's the mess, you know, warts and all. And like, here's what actually happened today. Um, yeah. not, not in sort of a tongue in cheek way or anything like that, but just like literally, Hey, look, you know, things don't always go the way we think they're going to go. And, um, you know, that's kind of part of it. Yeah. It's super interesting because those are the hardest ideas to get across. Um, right. because a lot of people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear what you're struggling with because you know, their usual response is, you're living your dream. You don't need to be complaining. Yeah. You know? right. um, and that's the thing is it, it's, we're not trying to complain. We're just trying to paint a whole picture. Right. Yeah. I think, I think we've, we've kind of tried to do that with the videos. Like we, we really have not, the only filtering we do with the videos is like, did we actually pick up a camera and shoot something that day? Mm-hmm. You know, like we're, we're not, we're not filtering anything out to like paint a picture we are literally just capturing experiences that we have that we feel like are good for video, you know, like interesting, interesting or would, yeah, capture someone's attention. Yeah. I suppose like like showing, you know, five days of you guys sitting in the cabin, looking at screens, probably no one really (laughs) wants to watch that. That's fair. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although I don't know, like, you know, that that whole like slow video movement thing is actually maybe catching on. So maybe that is a thing. (laughs) <laughs> it, it is interesting. I, I, I'd like to try doing something like that. I think, I think that is kind of an inter- interesting concept, Yeah. especially with like the new 360 cameras and things like that. And just like, yeah, you, it almost can feel like you're there. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Any- yeah. Be interesting thing to at least explore, you know? Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I guess, um, you know, we've covered kind of a lot of ground here. Uh, you know, you guys, uh, you know, started out on a catamaran and, and some of this I'll, you know, I'll send people in the direction of the videos because I think it's, it's well worth watching the backstory on kind of that, you know, moving from this idea of we're going to get a catamaran and, and, you know, I think you guys were looking at some nuts boats in the beginning, <laughs> you know, some like real, Hey, like stripped out race boats we could live in yeah. this. And it's like, yeah, no, fair. no, you can't, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, um, it'd be like trying to go, you know, on a super long road trip in, you know, like a stripped out, like, you know, rally car or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> metal frame and like two bucket seats with five point harnesses. In them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you went from like that far end to, you know, finally settling on, you know, what is a very reasonable, you know, cruising boat, yeah. um, mono hull rather than uh, catamaran. Uh, like, uh, you know, now that you've had that boat for a while, are there any, you know, uh, I guess regrets or drawbacks to the monohull that you feel like, Oh, we, you know, we really wish we could have gotten a catamaran. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know this is like one of those can of worms discussions as well. For yeah. it it's like mono uh, versus cat. Yeah, no, there's, there's a bunch of different ways that, that we can take this. I think for me personally, the, the biggest issue is I can't, I don't fit our boat very well. So it's the best boat that I fit into that we could afford that we could live aboard. Um, but I'm just shy of six foot three. And so standing in our cabin, my head is pretty much touching the, the, the cabin the roof. roof. Yeah. Um, right. the, yeah. Um, the headliner all the time. Um, and so 
that naturally makes me slouch, you know, like just because your head doesn't want to constantly bang into things. <laughs> right. Um, so there's that. And it's a tight space. I mean, it's a tight space for a good reason, you know, because it's a good seaworthy boat on non-passage. You don't want a ton of open space. But um, like even like our V-berth, I just barely fit into. And our C-berth, uh, I can like head is barely touching the the bulkhead. My flat feet are about an inch away from the bottom, you know, from the other bulkhead. So like there's just, I feel very physically confined, um, which is kind of a problem for long-term living. So we didn't really have a good alternative for that. So this is the best. Yeah. So there's, we have no regrets for sure. I mean, the boat that we bought was the best that we could afford in the moment. Um, Right. And we, we, we actually have grown to really, really like the boat. Um, we didn't really know what we were getting into with the tartan because it was one of the boats that we actually didn't research that much. Um, we kind of just happened to stumble upon it when we were looking at listings. Yeah. Um, and then when we showed up and we were we got on the boat, and we thought, wow, this is this boat is it seems really well thought out. Um, and when we got down inside, we thought it's not weird. <laughs> like there's so many boats where you get on and you're like, why is this this way? And why yeah. is this, this doesn't make any sense. And when we, when we got into this boat, we're like, this feels right. Like this feels good. Um, but you know, we had a budget and that meant we couldn't get two hulls and <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's not really a secret, but if we had more money, we definitely would have gone for yeah. a catamaran. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we are definitely catamaran people. Um, and so one day, <laughs> one, one day, day Jeff, it'll <laughs> there be a catamaran. Be a- or I mean, you guys could always just, you know, I guess, you know, a lot will have to happen. But you could always get one of those like Neil Fifty One trimarans. Um, <laughs> those look kind of cool, kind of best of both worlds, and plenty of headroom. So, yeah, we uh, a, a multi hull. Yes, I think. yes, we, more than one. <laughs> That's all that matters. True, really. true. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be a Neil. I've heard. I don't want to throw Neil under the bus here, but I've heard some negative stories about their construction. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe we'll have to talk about that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, a couple other things with the, the boat that we ended up with. Um, monohulls are notorious for bobbing back and forth on the water. Rolling. And rolling. It's not great for people who are prone to seasickness, which I am. So right. um, we have not done any very long passages in our boat and we probably won't like we don't see this as a boat that we're going to go sailing around the world in um even so, though it's capable of it even though it's we capable. would need to do some upgrades but mm-hmm. there have been tartan 37s that have sailed around the world yeah absolutely um we just don't see ourselves doing that um, I, don't, I don't think that i could live that long for a single stretch of period on the boat that we currently have right. just and, with the physical dimensions of yeah. me and the boat. And I, I couldn't see myself being seasick that much. I mean, I've, I've been able to, um, tame it. Yeah. I you suppose. did very well last year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just the space that the catamaran offers, that's the third thing is right. just having more space for stuff right. because we've got surfboards and kite boards and, all sorts of toys that we want to have that we can't fit in our boat right now. So right, right. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do you find the seasickness thing like is it something that your body gets used to, or is it you know when you say tame, is that like a, a combination of drugs and other things, and you just know okay, don't go below, and we're on passage, or you know, I guess what yeah. is that? It's the latter right now. Um, I think people who sail long distances, multi-day passages, um, they do talk about 
you know, being seasick like the first day or the second day or something, and then kind of getting over it and getting used to it. Um, we just have, haven't sailed that long. So I haven't been able to experience that or know that it would be possible for me. Um, so on this, on the short distances, um, yes, it's the, um, the C bands and the bonine or the Dramamine. Um, so that's a pill and then the bands on your wrist. Um, and then what you mentioned as well, not going below a big one is looking at your phone. Or looking at a book. Not looking at your phone. Not right. looking at your yeah. phone. Yeah. 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 Not looking at your phone, not looking at a book, um, not looking down. Um, trying to stay active in what's happening Engaged. on the boat. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It sort so of cuts out I'm a lot of stuff top. though. I mean, you're you're sort of like limiting yourself down. I mean, you can be on on watch basically. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, Which I guess is so good for you, Kirk. Like, you, I mean, yeah. you're like, okay, Lauren, I'll see you in three days. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, if we start to really go long distances, um, yeah, that's, I'm all yeah, the, the hell of the, the longest sail that we've done thus far is basically all day, all night, and all day. We, we haven't done a two night sail yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we intended to on this last uh, season on the sail back from the Bahamas. And we had some major issues with our autopilot and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was like almost kind of sick at the time as well. well. Oh it, no, my it was back your was back. That's Yeah. Right. Which funnily enough, um, yeah. the, the, the V birth that he can't fit into and then his slouching all the time in right. the boat has contributed to. Yeah. So I was interesting. in the Bahamas last year. I was out on three separate occasions for like a full day, just like laying down because my back was hurting so bad from just poor posture being in the boat. Mm-hmm. So you so. also cannot go below very often. <laughs> you guys yeah. are just going to have to start sleeping on the uh, on the deck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mad. So I guess you know you mentioned um, you know that you you aren't necessarily thinking about uh, circumnavigating at least in the in the short term. Is that something you know? Is that a long term goal, or are you guys pretty happy to just say you know this is uh, you know this is we're going to be kind of season airs uh, you know season and season in the Bahamas and then you know get off the boat when it's hurricane season and you know go somewhere else for a little while. For the immediate future, um, that's that's what we're looking at doing. Um, long-term plans, we definitely want to take longer voyages. Um, we've not ruled out sailing around the world by any means. I think that's definitely still something that we both have a lot of interest in. Um, but it's not something that you sort of are just like, hey, let's go do that. You know, it's like... There's a lot of things that have to fall into place for you to be able to do that. So, you know, there's the financial component, which we've sort of cracked the code for making this work. But, you know, are we going to be able to continue to earn enough money to get an appropriate boat that we do feel comfortable on, you know, living on for multiple years right? Um, without coming back to land, really? You know, I'm, I'm sure we'll, you know, maybe take a break here and there if we sailed around the world. But, you know, there's 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 a lot of other components that have to work out. You know, we, we do really want to have kids. Yeah. I think um, that's the biggest that's one right now. The big one Whereas we need, to, we need, <laughs> we would very much like to have kids in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's like at what point in the child's life does it make the most sense to do that? Right. Um, and you know, then just all the other logistics, you know, all the other stuff that goes along with it. Um, I think, you know, you can say, sailing around the world is more important than all of those other things. So then, you know, you just go and do it. Um, but I think for us, some of those other things are more important. Having, having children are more important. And then, 
just having having the sailing life be a sustainable lifestyle. That's what we set out in the beginning is to have the ability to do this as long as we wanted. And for us, that means that we are continuing to work. So, And right. so that means that we might not actually be sailing every single right. day right now. Right, right, right. And so like, you know, conversely to the, to the way that we've looked at this, we probably have enough money to outfit our boat and then just take off for the next three years or four years and go sail around the world. But then after that, like, we're, right. we've got nothing left. Then, you know? right. then we're broke. We're also 40 Homeless. and childless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, just the, the future prospects after that are not looking very good long term. So we're trying to take a slower, sort of longer, more sustainable approach to like, if we can continue along the path that we are on now, it's probably something that's achievable. It's just not going to happen in the next three years. Right, right. Do you know, that's a really interesting perspective. And uh, I mean, it's awesome to hear that, right? Because like, I think one of the things that a lot of people um, overlook, uh, and I guess this is not necessarily in like adventure type things or when, you know, when they are looking at, you know, random YouTube channels of things is like, there's trade-offs in everything, right? You know, if you want to work in the rat race and have a, you know, amazing career or whatever it is, like you're giving up a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's just that no one ever really talks about the things that you're giving up there. Right. Um, Whereas if you're like, oh, I'm going to go sail around the world for four years, people are like, oh my God, what are you going to do for X, Y, and Z? And, you know, so I think it, it's interesting that you guys have, I suppose, taken the time and the, and the, you know, space to think through and go, okay, what is the order of operations here? And like, what are the things that we're willing to trade off uh, versus what are the things that are super important? And, you know, like the other stuff can wait basically. Yeah. 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 I, th I would say barring, um, you know, superstar careers in some specific field, we're kind of trying to have it all. Like <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, tr we're trying <laughs> to travel right now while we're young. We're trying to still have kids before we're 40. Um, we're, we want to keep the idea of sailing around the world as a possibility in the future. And we're also putting money into our retirement accounts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's small, but, we're, you know, but it's like happening. The, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, this is the, yeah. this is like the, uh, you know, I guess the, the malaise of our generation, isn't it? It's right. like, we do want to do everything. We're like right. not yeah. content to just, you know, uh, just work and make sure our kids are like going to university or whatever. We're like, no, no, yeah. every, everything will happen just in, you know, in yeah. due course. Right. Exactly. Yep. It just happens a lot. It takes slower. time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of planning. Right. right. Lots of planning. You guys seem to be very, very good at the planning. Like your spreadsheets are pretty incredible, uh, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I know you guys like, you know, are starting to, you know, explore ways of like selling that sort of thing, but I feel like there's gotta be some other, you know, income stream in there of like, you know, here's how to really get good at spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like a really nerdy thing of mine, I think, but I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I, in my small business career that I've had in the past 12 years, like spreadsheets and like analytics and data tracking have always been a huge thing of mine. So I get really geeked out about just looking at numbers different ways and kind of tracking what's happening. So, um, like I have been tracking my, well, it's been, it's been pretty much mine. Lauren and I haven't totally, um, Meshed combined our... incomes, but I've been tracking my income and like net worth since like 2012 in a single spreadsheet. So like, wow. it's really, it's been really awesome to go back in time and look at, you know, how things have grown and like how the decisions that I've made to give up, uh, like 
full-time jobs in favor of, you know, working remotely or working gig type freelance jobs and like how that has affected or not affected, you know, my financial stability. Um, Interesting. And, Is there anything in there that like, uh, I don't know, you feel like is a generalizable thing? Like, you know, when you say has affected or has not affected, like, you know, do you feel like people hold on to the free, the full-time thing way too much or, uh, know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, I mean, so I've been kind of, uh, I, ha- I haven't been full-time since when? 20, 2016. 2016. Yeah. yeah. So like I've been, I still have a partner in Chicago that I still work 20 ish hours a week. I mean, it really comes and goes some weeks it's like zero hours or five hours and other weeks it's, you know, 30 or 40. But, um, so I haven't had a, an actual office job, even though I was working remotely prior to that most of the time since 2016. Um, but there's been almost no change in our, my continued, you know, financial growth. Um, a lot of it is, you know, there's been really good stock market gains and things like that. But I think a lot of it is just like the discipline that I've sort of developed over the years from tracking everything to continue to pay myself first, you know, to pay for retirement, to pay into, you know, my savings accounts and just not spend frivolously. Yeah. A lot of it is about minimizing expenses. So we gave up our rental um, house in 2016 yeah. at the end of, you know, when we left California to start trying to find a boat. And fortunately for us, we have two amazing sets of parents who allowed us to crash at their place for six months. Right. Um, so that was huge. I mean, yeah, we're, we weren't difference. paying any rent. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then neither Kirk or I spend money on Gold watches. S- gold watches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surfboards um, aren't that cheap, though, are they? No, they're <laughs> yeah, not. No. This is the problem. There's always something. <laughs> that's, that's a big splurge. That's yeah. one thing that Kirk spends money on is is uh, sports toys. So yeah, yeah. But but I mean, it's it's annoying because it's uh, you know th- those answers are sort of uh, on the boring end, I suppose when you when you get down to it. But like yeah. that is the truth, isn't it? It's just like oh yeah, it's just all the the boring mundane stuff that actually makes the big difference in the long term. It's just no yeah. one can no one can think and keep their brain running in the long term properly. Yeah. Well, and I, I think to an- like a specific short answer to or your your question about you know like what what was it? Um, like I I think. Or, or no, it was the the question about do people hang on to the full time jobs for too long? Mm. Um, I probably did for years too long. Like I, I mean, I had a pretty good little gig going for a while where I was working remotely for a, a startup, and then we got bought by a bank and a few other things that that really helped on the income side. But I think you know we've seen that we are intelligent enough to find ways to, you know feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and bathe ourselves and stay financially and make, yeah, make money enough to make money in ways that are not traditional, that are not the full-time job. And had we decided that, you know, we felt comfortable enough to quit five years earlier, we probably would have been in a similar situation. It's not like we learned a whole lot in those five years. It's what you really learn, you know, in yeah. the transition and as, as you get going into working freelance, that is what really makes the difference. There was one thing too that made Kirk hold on to his jobs a lot longer than he thinks. That's true. Was we really wanted to buy property. Yeah. Right. And if you're freelance, it's it's hard. It it's hard a lot to get harder. You're right. A bank to yeah. give you a loan. So that was a huge reason that he just he just was like, Oh, another six months. 
another yeah. six months. You know, yeah. we're almost we almost have enough money for a down payment on something. So let's just see. Let's just see. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was another big thing. But I mean, that's. But that again, was, like it's all it's all the way back to those trade offs, right? Like it's all those little things that add up and go, okay, what are the things that I actually want to do, and what are the things that are gonna, you know, make it so that I can do the things that I want to do in the future? And yeah, right. Again, humans yeah. are just terrible at thinking long term, and uh, and like working out what that math looks like. You know, so yeah. many of us are just like, oh yeah, I, I I see this thing on Instagram. Obviously, I want these, you know, new pants or jacket or backpack <laughs> or you know, nineteenth backpack that uh, people are trying to sell me on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have too many backpacks by the way <laughs> i was gonna ask is that is that your thing uh no i'm pretty good like i've only you know i've got a lot of like climbing backpacks that are just sort of building up over the years but uh i do like a good backpack <laughs> uh, you know like there's something really nice about having something that's just like you can carry lots well on your back i don't know yeah well i i might need to ask you for a recommendation later then because i'm in the market too okay yeah. okay we can talk about that later then <laughs> Um, so I guess I, I want to be, uh, you know, cognizant of time for you guys. Um, we've already gone well over the, the time that I sort of told you it was going to take. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll ask one more kind of main uh, topic and then we can kind of brush off with some, you know, a couple of the questions that I like to ask all my guests. Okay. Um, but I guess the last main thing, you know, you guys spent a bunch of time in the Bahamas last season. Um, and, you know, I know you spent a bunch of time in places that are, you know, were seriously affected by Hurricane Dorian just recently. Um, you know, what, I guess just from your experiences there, um, you know, is there anything people should be aware of, should know about, um, you know, if people are so inclined to help or, or try and figure out some way to, you know, help those affected by the hurricane, like what would you suggest, suggest that they do? <sighs> it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a really hard one for us. Like, I think we're still kind of processing everything that's happened, um, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of organizations that are um, helping and on the ground. And the people of the Bahamas would really be in a totally different situation if there were not the goodwill of all of these organizations and all of these people that are out there helping them. Because, I mean, they the Abacos were nearly wiped off the map. Like, there is almost no island in the Abacos that was unaffected. And there are very few structures that were left like standing They're and actually let alone, anymore. yeah, like un, totally un, uninhabitable. There's no electricity. There's still no water. It's been how long since two months? Uh, yeah. Um, wow. I mean, they, they, they I, I want to relate a, a quick story because, um, I, I think it helps put into perspective. Like it, it was really difficult for us to just even conceive of what, you know, the people of the Bahamas were going through when, you know, they experienced this hurricane. Like you just, you can't really fathom what that's like. And so it's just really hard to even put yourself in their position. But Lauren and I traveled, um, 1400 miles North from Florida this, this past, uh, spring. Well, yeah, it was the middle of summer, I guess, by the time we left mm -hmm. to get away from what is called the hurricane box, which is, you know, where the hurricanes make landfall on the, the East coast of the United States or the Gulf. Um, so this is, we had just spent a couple months in the Bahamas. Um, we had crossed back over to Florida, pulled the boat out on land. And this was always in the plan to go spend two months up North with our families, um, go to a wedding and, um, yeah, spend hurricane, a couple of months of hurricane season away from 
the right. hurricane box. And and basically, to to we have the ability to get ourselves, our person, yes. out of the dangerous hurricane zone. The, you know, the boat's a different story, but we did everything we could in our power to you know protect the boat. But we knew that, you know, we ourselves are not going to be going through a hurricane. And so we, we drove, you know, 1,500 miles north to Wisconsin and we're visiting Lauren's family um, to get away from these, like, you know, massive storms and uh, extreme weather events and ended up smack dab in the middle of a tornado, which is another extreme weather event with right. really high winds. And we experienced maybe 150 mile an hour winds for like 20 seconds. Not even. It was probably five seconds. And it was just sheer terror. And to then go back to what the people in the Bahamas and the Abacos experienced for like over 24 hours of winds, like nearly double that is just like unfathomable to me, just like the personal experience that they went through. And I remember coming upstairs from the basement of the house that we were in um, and there was uh, like power lines were like arcing right outside the house. And so we thought there was a fire and we we called 911 because we still had cell phone service, like Mm -hmm. infrastructure still existed. And within, I don't know, it was probably five minutes or 10 minutes. There were, you know, the the blue and red revolving lights of a fire truck and an ambulance and a police officer, you know, like, and I just, I remember seeing those lights and just like a wave of emotion went over me of just like, Oh, you know, like there are people out there like doing things to make sure that people, that we're safe, that other people are safe, like taking care of, you know, what needs to happen. Just so grateful for that. And yeah, none of that exists in the Bahamas. There is zero infrastructure left. And so after 30 hours of, you know, this terrifying event to emerge from whatever, you know, is left of the house or the building or the structure that they were in, there's none of that. There was, there was no, you know, police or fire or emergency services, you know, coming in to, you know, reconnect their power. They weren't able to, you know, hardly communicate at all because communications towers were, you know, out of service and didn't have power. And like then to live that way for the next, it's going to be a year before they even get running water or power to the major towns. Like I just, I still can't put myself in their shoes and it's, it's just emotionally like really hard to even comprehend what's going on down there. Right. Um, so that was probably way more and deeper than, than what you <laughs> No, that's that's exactly sort of, uh, in one sense, uh, you know, what I think is important to get across, right? Like, I think there's, uh, you know, many places across the world now that are sort of, you know, in similar situations and, you, you know, from many different causes. But uh, I think it's, um, you know, it's important to relay those stories and it's important to hear that. And, and like, I think uh, the way you kind of put it, you know, you guys were in a tornado, which is terrifying. Um, yeah. But like to know that, okay, that's, that's, that was a couple seconds versus, you know, hours and hours. And then, like you said, to walk out and just be like, yep, we've gone back to like nothing to zero. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, and to know like that, that we are, I don't know, like we, we are so lucky to have the ability to, you know, have pulled ourselves out of the, the way of hurricanes, you know, like we had that ability to do that. We're, yep. whereas they, 
they had nowhere to go. You yeah, know, like it was just... it was interesting, like seeing on the internet people, you know, commenting on various posts saying, "Oh, you know, people of the Bahamas, you know, get to safety, you know, you, the, it's coming for you." Like, you They're know, like, leave the islands. Yeah, it's like where, like, uh, yeah, they, do they what? Like, go, go to Florida anywhere. and be stuck yeah. in a detention center? Like, no right? Thanks. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's really. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's it's brutal. I mean, it's it's really brutal. And and like, I think, um, not to kind of maybe change the subject too much, but, um, you know, 100-year storms happening, you know, every other year at this stage. Uh, and yeah. so mm-hmm. you wonder how long people are, are going to stay in the Bahamas, you know? Like, yeah. you wonder how long yeah. people are just going to be like, nope, I'm fed up, I'm done with this. Uh, you know, I'm not rebuilding my house again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm getting out of here and going somewhere. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's interesting, like, we live in strange times, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, with all that being said, <laughs> um, I think both Kirk and I did a bunch of research, and it seems like the absolute best way for you to help is to donate. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, a, you know, for the first two months until now, like I, I was paying very close attention to the the kind of organizations on the ground. So there's like the Hopetown uh Fire and Rescue, I yeah. think, is one organization that sort of coordinated all of the efforts for Elbow Key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like the Man of War. Um, it's like Community Bulletin or something that they were organizing all of the the efforts on the ground in Man of War Key. They were all telling people, do not come here, stay away. You know, like for the first two months, um, there was just, there's so many navigational hazards in the water, like the airports weren't even working for the first you know, two weeks or so, like they and, just were trying to do recovery, make sure that the people that were there were alive, make sure that, you know, they, what, they were just, what was it called though? It's like the second wave disaster. Yeah. So everyone in the, or not everyone, a lot of people in the U S and especially the East coast of Florida and a lot of the sailors that spend a lot of time down there were trying to sort of organize their own, uh, you know, delivery and logistics network to get stuff down to people there. Right. Um, uh, but what happens a lot of times is, you know, if, if you don't have specific requests for items, um, you end up sending, you know, like 2000 cartons of eggs and they end up just rotting in the sun on the tarmac of the airport because there is no logistics to network right. to get them to right. people. There's, right. there's no electricity, to... there's no refrigeration, yeah. there's no nothing. There's nowhere to cook them. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, <laughs> like, it just... So, so for a long time, they were telling people to stay away. And I think now at this point, two months, you know, out from the event, they're now starting to get a few opportunities for more people to come in and help them on the ground, but it's still very, very limited. So like this next sailing season, they're, they're still telling people, you know, like, do not come to the Abacos unless you're 100% self-sustainable. That means you don't need to get any fuel from us. You can make your own water. Um, you're carrying all of the food on board that you need, um, and you have plenty of spares and supplies to, you know, take care of whatever may happen while you're here. Um, if you can do that and you're willing to like donate your time to help us rebuild, great. We'd love to have you. But if you can't do all of those things, like you really shouldn't come sail, uh, into the Abacos. So we're hoping that maybe by the end of the cruising season, um, we're, we're planning on sailing to the Bahamas again, but we'll be going down through Bimini and the Barry Islands to the Exumas, mm-hmm. um, and are hoping by maybe March or April 
they'll sort of have things covered enough that we could still come in and offer, you know, our time and volunteer services, but like maybe get a few groceries here and there and have somewhere <laughs> to get some fresh drinking water because we don't have a water maker. Yeah. Right. Um, but even even that may not even they may not even be ready for for help that way from yeah. us at that point. So and then sure, so another hurricane season is, starts back up, huh? Yeah. 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 Bottom line is if, if, if anyone does want to help, um, there's tons of organizations to, to donate to. And we, we can, we did a bit of research. We can send you a couple if you want to. Yeah, definitely link. send me a bunch of links. I'll, I'll add it. Um, you know, and, uh, I think, you know, like that is like in some cases that is, like you said, um, is going to be the best way. Like there's no, yeah. there's nothing <laughs> physically you can do in a lot of these situations that's actually going to be helpful. Um, yeah. other than, you know, making sure that they're well-resourced. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's so crazy because it was actually the first place where we spent more than, I don't know, a few days, I guess, like a decent amount of time that we felt, yes, we're so excited to come back here next year. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> we leave and then a few weeks later, it's just it's wiped off the face of the planet. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah, we we were packing up to leave, and Lauren's like, "Oh, I want to go take photos one more time in in Hopetown," and she's like, "Oh, you know, we got too much to do, and you know, I'll 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 get some next year, you know, it'll it'll be here next year." Yeah, and we actually there was this oh gosh, there was this adorable book about the Hopetown um, Lightkeeper that was actually written and illustrated by a bunch of children from one of the ele- elementary schools there. And it was being sold in one of the coffee shops in Hopetown um, just as a way to donate money to the lighthouse. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is such a cool book. Like, And I don't normally say, oh, Kirk, let's buy this thing and bring it onto our boat and have it take up space. But this book, I was like thinking of like the kid we might have in, in some future time. And I was like, oh, let's get this. And I'm looking at it and then I'm second guessing. And I'm like, no. No, I don't need to get this now. I could get it next year. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough. You can't always do that. Yep. Yeah. You can't always do that. Uh, and I, like, that's that's actually a hard thing to think, isn't it? You know, you're kind of going yeah. going through the world and going, I mean, yeah, I think it'll be here next year. But right. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I guess on that dour note, uh, maybe we'll... <laughs> I, know, I feel like we should talk about something else now, but um, yeah, I feel like we slowly slid into more and more negative discussion. <laughs> I know, I know. God, what have we done? Um, but no, I mean, you guys have been super generous with your time, and I, you know, it's uh, it is getting late on this end, so I will uh, probably wrap it up because otherwise, I'll start talking nonsense, and no one will be able to follow what we're talking about then. So, um, hopefully, maybe what we can do is uh, I can catch up with you guys again in you know six eight months time or something, and see how the next season's going, and we can catch up on all the rest of the stuff. And yeah, um, that'd be cool. You know, I know, I know, finding internet down in uh, the Bahamas or out on the boat is actually really hard. So uh, maybe it'll be tough, but um, who knows? Maybe I'll come and find you in the Bahamas or in America somewhere on a trip. And, yeah. Uh, we can do it live <laughs> instead of over the internet. That'd be awesome. Cool. Well, listen, uh, thank you guys so much for the time again. And um, I guess we'll call it good right there. All righty. All right. Well, thank you, thank Jeff. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a real, real fun time talking with you. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that's it for this episode. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. And if you're willing to wade through the mess that is iTunes, I would be eternally grateful for any reviews that showed up on the podcast there. That always helps us find more listeners. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram. I've been posting a ton of old photos there, and it's been really great fun to look through the old archives and uh, pull stuff out. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy those as well. So until next time, I'm Jeff Gardner, and I'm signing off Lives of Adventure. <laughs>